Let's open up our Bibles uh, this evening to the book of 1 Samuel as we're making our way verse by verse through the New Testament. I want to draw your attention to 1 Samuel 27. Now, you'll notice that chapter 27 is a very short chapter. We're only talking about 12 verses here, but we'll spend our entire time this evening in these 12 verses and uh, won't really venture into chapter 28. Chapter 28 is one of the craziest, craziest stories in uh, all the Old Testament. And we'll get into that uh, next week as we are given some very interesting insights into the spiritual realm. There are things that we know about the spiritual realm that we wouldn't know if it wasn't for 1 Samuel chapter 28. And, and 1 Samuel chapter 27, Daniel, or David is making some choices for himself that's gonna introduce a lot of pain in, into his life. Now much of the pain that is coming into his life has been the responsibility of the actions of others. He, in, in many cases, uh, David is doing the right thing. He's, he's behaving the right way. He's, he's being faithful to God. And with all of his faithfulness, there is trouble that heads his way. But the trouble that is going to be heading his way as we get into chapter 28 is gonna happen because of the poor choices. These are self-inflicted wounds that David is bringing upon himself. And... And David is, is going to find himself in a very, very difficult season of, of his life. David, David is going to make choices that will eventually cause the men that have faithfully served him uh, to want to kill him. And it was only by the grace of God that he didn't end up being killed by, by his, his own men. Now, this interesting season of David, David is going to go into... Uh, a period of time where he's cooling off spiritually and his passion for God is beginning to diminish. Now, for those of you like me that you were raised in a non-Christian home, you know what it was like when you came to Christ as a young adult, as an adult. You remember how that when you came into the church, there was an entirely new vocabulary that you had to familiarize yourself with. I can remember as a young believer sitting in home Bible studies, not really having a clue as to what people were talking about because I didn't understand the terminology that they were using. I, I remember I was in a, uh, a home Bible study. I'd only been saved for maybe a month or two. It was a home Bible study that was being taught uh, by a guy that we called Elf. Uh, he was a very small guy. We weren't politically correct in the 70s, and so we called him, we called him Elf. And, uh, and he was teaching, I'll never forget this, he was teaching out of Second Kings, and he was talking about prophets. And at some point in his Bible study, and I, I don't remember why he brought this up, he brought up the subject of speaking in tongues. And that was the very first time that I had ever heard that terminology. And for the life of me, I had no idea what this guy was talking about. And whatever he said after that, I did not hear because I spent the rest of the Bible study in my own head trying to figure out what in the world is he talking about. Now, it turned out that the Rolling Stones, the very first album that they put out in the 1970s was an album called Sticky Fingers. 
And it was the first time that they used the logo of that great big tongue and those red lips. And I can remember sitting there in the Bible study thinking to myself, what do the stones have to do with the Bible? What, what is, I, you know, and I'm just trying to figure this out. And, and some of the terms that we used to use in the 70s, we, we don't use any longer. At least I don't really hear them in the church spoken that much uh, any longer. Oh, there, there was a term, if, if, somebody had been missing, somebody hasn't been at Bible study for, you know, a few weeks or a couple of months, and, and you would say, hey, where is so-and-so at? The response might come back, oh, they're backslidden, or they are backsliding. Now, backsliding is a, a real word. You can look it up in the dictionary, and it will tell you that it is somebody who fails to do something that they agreed to do and returns to their former bad behavior. So you're going to give up drinking, but you go back to drinking. You're giving up some form of abuse, but you're going back to that abuse. There's a name for that. It's called backsliding. But in the spiritual sense, it means to slide back, to abandon gradually the faith and practice of a religion that had been professed. So it speaks of a time of a cooling, your passion is beginning to diminish, your enthusiasm for the things of God is beginning uh, to cool, and you're sort of sliding back into your old behavior. Now, it's a very biblical term, we find it several places in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah chapter 8, why then has this people turned away in perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. In chapter 14, we read, though, uh, though our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your name's sake, for, your, for our backslidings are many, and we have sinned against you. Hosea used it in this way, and my people are bent to backsliding from me. Uh, we find it in the New Testament. We find the concept. We don't really find that literal word. Uh, the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, but we are not like those who shrink back, who are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their soul. So it has the sense that you're going back, that you're losing ground spiritually. If you stay on that path for a long enough period of time, you then become what we would call apostate. You get to that point where you give up on the faith. You no longer are trusting and being interested in uh, Christ uh, what, whatsoever. Now, I imagine that all of us, we've probably have had seasons in our life, if you've been walking with the Lord for a long period of time, there probably have been seasons in your life where you weren't as passionate about the things of God as maybe you once were. I look back at my life and I think in some of those very early years, I think I was carnal and, and I think that though I put on an appearance uh, that I was a passionate uh, follower of Christ, there were probably seasons early on uh, where where I would probably classify myself, as I look back now, as being a backslidden uh, individual. Now, are you, are you in a backslidden uh, place tonight? Now, if I were to venture a guess, I would probably say no. I mean, it's the middle of the week, 
It is a dark and cold night out there. The easiest thing would have been just to stay home and just uh, to really be you're here and you're here worshiping the Lord. You're here listening to the word of God. So I would say the preponderance of the evidence is that, you know, you're probably not uh, backslidden. But if you're worried about maybe I am backslidden, how can I know if I really am? Well, all you have to do is look at the choices that David is making for himself and ask yourself, am I making the very same choices that David is making? And if you're making the kind of choices that David was making, then I would say, you know what? You better, you better look seriously at your heart because maybe you are not where you are supposed to be tonight uh, spiritually. So David, here in chapter 27, he's gonna reveal to us what does a backslider do? What are the actions that you will see coming out of a life of somebody who is backsliding, somebody who is falling away from the faith, if you will? Well, let's notice now, uh, David, David is exhausted. I mean, I get it, right? I get why this guy is gonna make the choices that he's gonna make. He's exhausted, he's tired, he wants this saga to be over. It has gone on and on and on now for years. He's tired of his life being in jeopardy. He's tired of the hardship that obedience to God is bringing into his life, and so he just wants to check out. And we can, we can all probably look back at different times in our lives where, yeah, I, I want to check out of this marriage. I want to check out of this difficult job. I want to check out of this difficult family situation. I want to check out of this difficult church situation. And so we get it. We understand why it happens. But we're also going to see where this compromise will ultimately lead all of us in one form or another. So notice in verse 1 that we read this. And David said in his heart, so he's having this conversation within himself, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel, and so I shall escape out of his hand. So here he is, he's saying, I need some relief. I'm tired of this. God doesn't seem to be changing anything in my environment. And so therefore, I need to begin to take matters into my own hand, and I'm gonna figure out a way to get out of this mess uh, myself. Now the first thing that you will always see in somebody that is in a backslidden condition is that they begin to doubt the promises of God. Now, nowhere in the narrative do we find the Lord saying to this man, yes, get out of Israel. In fact, we find the very opposite. We had it just a number of weeks ago when the prophet Gad came to David. And what did the prophet say back in chapter 22? Prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, depart. Go to the land of Judah. And so David departed and he went into the forest of Hereth. All right. So the last thing that we have recorded of where God was speaking to David 
about what God's will for David was, you get your rear end back to Judah. I don't want you to leave Judah. Anyway, get back to Judah. And since chapter two, nowhere has God communicated to this young man, hey, it's okay to leave. Now look, everybody has been encouraging this guy. Back in chapter 16, Samuel anoints him to be king. Everybody is telling him he's going to be king. Saul has told him you're going to be, Saul, this is what we had last time. Saul comes into his right mind. He says, you know what, kid, I've made some mistakes, and God is going to make you king, and please don't kill off my family when you become king. So everybody in this young man's life is confirming the will of God, but he's come to this place where he's exhausted, he's tired, he's wore out, He's, fire, he's tired of, of uh, he has become weary of well-doing, and now he's just going to check out. Now, one of the things that I find very interesting here is that notice what he says. Now, we, we have got uh, a school of theology in the church today, and it's been around for a while, called the Health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel, uh, some would call it positive confession, because we're told that the power of, of life and death is in your tongue. And you have to be very careful what you say. You don't want to say anything negative. Because the power of life and death is in your tongue. And oh my goodness, if something negative comes out of your mouth, it's going to happen. You never want to say, I think I might have cancer. You never want to say, I think I might go bankrupt. In fact, Joel Olstein, he tells us this. Here's the principle. Whatever follows the I am will eventually find you. When you say, I'm so clumsy clumsiness comes looking for you. I'm so old, wrinkles come looking for you. I'm so overweight, calories come looking for you. No, I go looking for calories, I'm pretty sure of that. It's as though you're inviting them. Whatever you follow the I am with, you're handing it over, handing it an invitation, opening the door, and giving it permission to come in your life. Now, I'm not saying you should be a negative Nelly. I'm not saying that at all. I think we should be upbeat. I think we should be victorious. I think even in the most negative circumstances of life, we recognize that God is at work and God's will is going forth in our life. But there are people that just live in bondage in fear of, oh, if I, if I say I'm not feeling well, I'm, I'm going to get sick. Now, let's notice, what does David say here? Now, the NIV says, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. Uh, the Amplified says, now, I will die one day by the hand of Saul. I like the message translation. David thought to himself, sooner or later, uh, Saul's going to get me. So David is saying, I know that Saul is going to kill me. Did Saul kill him? Did he end up being, did, did his negative confession take place in his life? No, not at all. Now, because of his doubt, though, because he's starting on this road of backsliding away from what God has for him in life, it's going to create some real problems. But, but it starts by just doubting, questioning the promises of God. So in verse 2, notice that we're told that he goes to Gath. Now, this is the second time he's gone to Gath. First time he went there, it 
it didn't go so well. David's a slow learner, so he's going to go back there a second time. Now notice in verse 3, and so David, he dwelt with Achish at Gath. That way Achish would be the king. And he and his men, each man uh, with his household. See, this is a, is a, lot, of, a lot of guys. You've got 600 guys, and they've got their families with them. And we're also told here uh, that David, he had his two wives with him. He had Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Car- Carmelitess, and uh, Nabal's uh, widow. Now, I want you to know, notice uh, the phrasing there that David dwelt with. Now, that word, to dwell with, it has the idea of, of being at ease. It has the idea of being at rest. If you, if you came to my home and I want you to feel welcomed, I want you to feel comfortable, I might say to you, hey, hey, make yourself at home, right? Look in the refrigerator. I don't care. Just, you know, help yourself. Whatever I have is mine. And I'm, I'm trying to make you comfortable and just sort of settled in. And this is what David was doing in the Philistine territory is that he came to this very pagan uh, city, uh, this city that is at war with God and at war with the people of God, and now he's very comfortable. And that's the second thing that you're going to see in a backslider where there is going to be comfortableness with the world. They are going to be more at ease with their pagan friends than they will be with their church friends. They're going to be more at ease uh, with the people at the bar than the people in their church because the people at the bar, most generally speaking, are not gonna challenge them, are not gonna bring into question the choices that they're making for themselves, whereas their church friends might come with a little bit of pointed questions. What are you doing and why are you doing this? And oftentimes a person in a backslidden condition will say, my bar friends have more love for me than my church friends. No! Your church friends are interested in your eternal destiny, for crying out loud, and that's why they're asking you the difficult questions and the hard questions. Now, he's going to be here for a long period of time. We're going to be told here in just a moment that he's going to be there uh, for, what, 16 months. And uh, in in all of of that time, uh, we have no record of him writing any of the Psalms. We have, we, we've, got, we've got him writing Psalms when he's in the wilderness being ch- chased by Saul. We've got Psalms where he's hiding out in the cave. We've got Psalms being written, worship songs being written in very difficult uh, times in David's life. But we don't have one, one Psalm that was written during this period of time. And this is really the third sign of a backslidden condition. You just stop using your gift. You're a gifted individual. God has blessed you in very unique ways. You're a blessing to the kingdom of God. You're a blessing to the body of Christ. But in that backslidden condition, you're taking, you're taking what God has given you to share with his people and you're just sort of locking it up away in your uh, foolishness. And so here is David. He is at peace with God's enemies. There, there apparently is no conviction going on in his life at all. Uh, He is at rest here, and he's not being used of God. Well, notice in verse 3 then, then David, he said to Achish, he said, now if I have found favor in your eyes, so he's going to this pagan king, 
Let them, now them must be his administrators, you know, it must be one of his secretaries of housing or whatever. And so let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. There's a reason why he wants to get away from this king. But notice now the reason that he gives. He says, for why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? And so Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Now therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah uh, to this day. Now, I think that David wants to get off this guy's radar screen. I think I think David wants some anonymity here. I think David, he's got some ideas rolling around the back of his mind, and he doesn't want to have the oversight of this king knowing what he's up to. So David begins to smooze this guy and tell you know, gee, I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing. You know, here, you're, you're, you know, you're royal. This is a royal city. I mean, the likes of me, I got no business, you know, living here. I mean, so why, why don't you just figure out where you want to put me in some backwater village and, uh, and I'm going to be okay. Now, what is going on here? Now, remember that Saul, who's out to kill him, is in Gibeah. That's his headquarters. Now, the last whereabouts of David was in Hakaliah that is there on the southwestern side of the Dead Sea. And where this red line is, this is outlining Philistine territory. Now Gath is way to the north, and then you've got Ziklag, which is really to the southernmost part of Philistine territory. Both of these are borderline territories. And you're talking about um, 25 miles separate, 25 miles in the ancient world. That was, a, that was quite a distance. And so he's not under the all-seeing eye uh, of this king. Now, I want you to notice what David calls himself here. He calls himself your servant, and what is David saying? And this is really point four. You're really compromising with the enemies of God. I'm going to do your bidding. I'm interested in what you're interested in. Notice he doesn't call himself the servant of the Most High God. He doesn't call him what he really was. But I'm your guy. I'm going to do your bidding. And uh, so the interest of God is totally off of uh, David's mind. Totally. So then notice in, um, in verse, verse 7, because this, this compromise now, it, it, initially, it initially looks like it's working. A compromise always initially has the appearance that it's working, but it is going to come back and it is going to bite him uh, big time. And I'm sure all of us have had those experiences where we think it's all working out and I'm going to skate through this difficult season of life and then time goes on and it's like, uh-oh, I didn't realize that was going to happen and this is going to be uh, David's experience. Now, the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines, so notice that it was, it was a full year, so you got 12 months and four months, so talking about 16 months. So, I mean, David is going to be here for probably around uh, two years, a uh, period of time. And David and his men, they went up and notice they they raided the, Ger, uh, uh, the Gershonites and the uh, 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 Gerzites and the Amalekites uh, for those nations 
uh, we're in, uh, we're the inhabitants uh, of the land from of old. Uh, as you go down to Sur, even as far as uh, the land of Egypt. So notice the fifth point. Uh, a person that is backslidden begins to fight uh, their own battles and they're not really fighting uh, the battles of the Lord. Uh, David is kind of a, a gun for hire, if you will. And David is taking on the enemies uh, that he wants to take on rather than the enemies uh, that God has called Israel to fight, which at that time uh, were the Philistines. So what this is telling us now is that David is, is going into these southern raids. And uh, he's not going into Israel. He's going well into the south. He's fighting here uh, for profit. And he's, he's not leaving any witnesses. You have to understand, David is becoming very brutal. David is becoming very barbaric. He is killing man, woman, and child. Uh, these communities, these villages are being entirely wiped out. He doesn't want any witnesses coming back to haunt him. He knows uh, that if the king of the Philistines hears about it, uh, he's going to have a very dim view of David. So he can't take any risk of any information uh, getting back to the, to the Philistines. Now, he, of course, is becoming somewhat wealthy. He's invading these territories. He's getting livestock. He's getting precious metal. And he is sending some of this wealth now to Achish. Because after all, Achish is kind of his landlord. He's got to pay rent. I mean, he's living in Philistine territory. And Achish basically uh, says to him, uh, where, where are you getting this stuff? Uh, you know, where, 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 are you, where are you coming up with this kind of cash, David? And what David does is that David, uh, he tells him uh, that he is going into southern Judah and he's attacking these two people groups. So this is just a bold-faced lie because David knows I can't tell this guy the truth. Now, notice what he says uh, to Achish is believed in verse 12 where we read this. And so Achish, he believed David. He believed David saying that he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant uh, for uh, forever. Now, notice the sixth thing. Uh, that a backslider is very gifted at is lies uh, and deception. Uh, they're living a lie. They're violating their conscience. They know they're violating their conscience. And oftentimes they use deception uh, to feel better uh, about themselves. Now David, we've talked about this before. David was a very gifted liar. Uh, David, David had, uh, uh, I think, probably a, 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 a deep character flaw uh, in his life. I, mean, I, I don't, don't know exactly where that came from. He was, was a baby of the family. He, he grew up in kind of a, a tough situation. He wasn't highly valued uh, within the family, uh, was lying a part of his character where he wanted people to think, more highly of him than he really was. So I'll, I'll lie about things so that people will think I'm greater than I am. But whatever it was, he would have been a great poker player uh, because here is an ancient king and these guys had a heightened sensitivity towards anything that would be off in the character of those people around them. You remember the king of Persia, he immediately spotted deception with, with you know, Nehemiah 
hey, what's, what's wrong with you? And, you know, Nehemiah kind of brushes it off a little bit. And the king immediately nails him. And he said, look, this is, this is sadness of heart. This is depression that's coming. He was able to read Nehemiah perfectly. Now, here you've got a, a, an ancient king, very paranoid that the next guy's going to try and take, take his place. And so here's a very paranoid king buying right into the lie of David. So David was a good salesman. Uh, David was a good liar. And that's why David would say in Psalm 119, now remove from me, Lord, uh, the way of lying. There's something that's bent. There's something that's twisted in me. There is this default setting that needs to be dealt with. It has followed me my entire life. And if I'm going to be set free from it, I got to be set free uh, by you and your power. So he buys into all of this. And so he thinks now, I've got David. I've got David. You see, David now is a man with no country. David cannot go back to Israel because he's attacking Israel, so the king thinks. And so therefore, I'm going to be able to really twist the screws hard on this guy, and he's going to do whatever it is I want him to do. He's going to take the toughest mission. He's going to be the tip of the spear for me. In fact, we're going to see uh, next, next time we get together uh, that the king is actually going to make David his personal bodyguard. Uh, and uh, David is going to be forced to go with this guy wherever this guy wants because this guy, again, he feels he's, where, where's he going to go? If I kick him out, where, I mean, he's, he doesn't have any place to go. So this king is feeling really good about this. And what this situation sets up for us as we get into chapter 28 next time is that uh, David is going to find himself in one of the most difficult spots, one of the most painful seasons of his life. And it all has to do with his unwillingness to really continue to pursue the will of God for his life. I know what I can do. I can't take this anymore. I'm going to take matters of my life into my own hands. I'm not going to seek God. I'm not going to pray about this. This is what I'm going to do. And it ends up just about destroying him. And had it not been for the grace of God, his own foolish choices would have killed him. And how many of us here tonight we can look back at our lives and think, you know, if it wasn't for God's grace, oh, my foolishness would have killed me long ago. What a wonderful God we serve. Aidan Tozer, he gives us kind of the, the foundation of backsliding. Where does it come from? What is the root cause? He said this, in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is at the bottom of the backsliding and worldliness among gospel believers today. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. No cross for us, no dethronement, no dying. We remain king within the little kingdom of Mansoul, and we wear our tinsel crown with all of the pride of a Caesar. And so we recognize that it is the dying of ourselves, it is dying to our will, taking up our cross, what is his, what is his will for us that is going to keep us far away from that land of backsliding that will come back and bring great harm. So I think as we go to prayer tonight, we need to be praying, Lord, help me to die to self, help me to become 
as passionate for you as I have ever been in my life. And Father, we thank you for the story of David. We thank you for his example. And Lord, we thank you that even as your children stumble, even as your children go through seasons of a spiritual cooling, you are a good father. You bring them back. You're going to bring David back. You're going to teach him some great lessons out of this situation. But Father, help us to learn these lessons by reading about them and not by living them. Father, help us to be passionate about you, passionate about what you have for our lives. And Lord, I pray that we have a brother or sister here tonight and they're just going through a season of just great difficulty. Lord, strengthen them in a very special way tonight, Lord. May they be found not taking matters into their own hands, but Lord, just strengthening themselves in the word of God and determining that they are gonna be the followers of Christ no matter how painful the situation becomes, Lord. Increase our faith, increase our faith. Help our unbelief, Lord. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.